Hello? I... <laughs> I was going to say I'm Matt Wills, but let's start off with... And that was Rick Wharton. There we go. That was our special guest for the week, Robert Durst. We've got him in for the podcast. <laughs> I'm Matt Wills, that was Rick Wharton, this is Discussing Documentaries, and today we are talking about, I cannot believe you let me pick this one, Rick, thanks man, because I'm genuinely, I'm over the moon at this one. We are talking about You Cannot Kill David Arquette, it's from the year 2020, Uh, we both watched it on Sky Documentaries, and the director was David Darg and Price James. And the money, I couldn't find anything about the money, but the accolades, it was the SXSW Film Festival winner for, and get this right, for Adobe Editing Award. Oh, that right. That's an award. And when I saw that, I was like, that makes complete sense because I've tried using that Adobe editing software. They've stung me for 200 quid and I'm really struggling. I've effectively lost 200 quid and you can get an award I, for it. That that award's, yeah, they've got to be bloody good. I did the trial for Adobe. Right. And now that the trial's expired, um, it is refusing to leave my computer. It's yes. taking squatters' yeah. rights on my Mac, and it is just not leaving. And every time I come on, it's like, Do you know, you you try. Like, yeah, I didn't want it. And it's just yeah, like, go well, away. It's here now. Leave me alone, Adobe. You know, computers now have got editing herpes now. That's but yes, rude. that's exactly what an Adobe product is. Um, so, yeah, well done to them for winning the Adobe Editing Award, just for navigating through the license agreement for a start. Well done, lads. Um, so here's the blurb on this documentary. Branded as the most hated man in wrestling after winning a highly controversial WCW World Heavyweight Championship in 2000, actor David Arquette attempts a rocky return to the sport that stalled his promising Hollywood career. Dangerously determined to redeem his reputation and reclaim his self-respect, Arquette will stop at nothing to earn his place in professional wrestling. Now, I picked this one nine months ago. I would have never have even looked at the trailer. But saying that the the name of the the movie that's clickbait, isn't it? What do you mean you cannot kill David Arquette? Who's trying to kill David Arquette? Let's find out. And the trailer for this is awesome. So it, it's got everything in it, right? It's got a movie star. It's got wrestling. There's a lot of blood, and it's a forty five year old man who's like, "Hey, I'm going to be a wrestler." But I was in from the off, absolutely in from the off. And when I said, we should do this, and you went, yeah, go on then. It's like, oh, what? come on then, let's get this done. And then today See, you've had to badger reason. the shit out of me just to get me out of bed to do it. And I'm like, I don't want to oh, do yeah, it today. Oh, yeah, I had sugar today, so you were sleeping at four. <laughs> <laughs> and I now have people within my bubble that have, you know, very demanding expectations. So I'm like, nope. I'm doing my radio show. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know what Matt's like? I've got to record. I don't want to record. I'm eating a Snickers bar. So listen, I know you'll freak out if you don't eat by 5.59, but if I don't record this about David Arquette, it'll miss going to print and it won't come out. It'll hurt the algorithms. <laughs> so Rick, talk us, t- introduce this one, man, because... I, See, anyone I, I that knows this. me won't believe that you picked it because, like, yeah. I have yeah, yeah. Until until the pandemic, I watched wrestling from the age of like twelve until probably last summer. Not this summer gone, but the summer before. Before that, I'd probably watched every pay per view. Wow. Um, okay. For like maybe maybe it's like a year or two break, but once we started watching at uni, we were, like I said during the Bret Hart one, we would have like eight lads come yes. round, we'd yeah, put yeah, bets yeah. on who would win. And we loved the documentaries of it. Some of the first documentaries I watched was like the Bret Hart one we reviewed second or third. And because the behind the scenes to it, it's just a mental world. Um, What's that called? It's Beyond the Mat, isn't it? Yeah, Bret Hart, episode beyond three, the, I think it was. Yeah. Beyond the Mat's one, but then like, I don't know, there's, there's other wrestlers by optics because they just lead, lead insane lives. And there is a yes. lot of crossover between the life of a professional wrestler and of a professional comedian. There is a yeah, lot yeah. of similarities to like starting out trying to have basically having to be a carny, getting yourself booked. Yeah. 
uh, like the amount of travel involved. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is a fascinating concept to me. I've I've told you before, I've always wanted to do a treatment for a show, which was basically like a soap opera, but it's the behind the scenes of a soap opera, and you just basically make it like wrestling behind the scenes. It's, it's for one yeah, man. Okay. Man. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. And if you annoy him, you've got it like, you know, you're eating poop on the next episode of EastEnders because you stepped on his toe in the corridor. Like, that's the level. <laughs> and, of... and in that respect, it is very much like comedy, right? That's mm. yeah, yeah. You've you've got to be careful who you upset and all, all and of that. It's a game. Of, it's no different from um, just so you know the the politics of that side of things. That's no different from working in a large corporate. That's no different at all. Uh, you've just there are idiots. There are cards. There are there's all the uh, there are there are baby faces. There are heels. You've it's a game. <laughs> it's a huge game working in a corporate. I'd love it wait, wait, if you're ever back in the office and someone starts to go, "Ooh, he's heel turned." <laughs> <laughs> so much learning the lingo of wrestling. I, but uh, this is this is possibly the worst time to get into professional wrestling because as we go through this documentary and you meet a professional wrestler I'll have to tell I'll have to inform Michael he's a sexual criminal yes, <laughs> because <laughs> well here's like the there was the me too movement and then wrestling had its own me too movement called the speaking out one because it is horrifying the stories within wrestling like um well, the work I've but, done to so when I suggested this and Rick said, yeah, okay, let's re- let's look at this documentary. I said, okay, I just want to do some homework first. Now, as much as I say I'm getting into wrestling, as of yet, I haven't really watched any wrestling. Right. But what I have done is I'm just looking at the behind the scenes stuff because that fascinates me. Absolutely fascinates me. I've seen the odd match where like the one where The Undertaker oh. falls through the cage when they're fighting on the top of the cage and he nearly dies. I mean, that is... Mankind that is, falls mankind, through. Right, Undertaker okay. chucks him through. Oh, okay, Sorry. yeah, so... Whenever you keep on getting these names wrong, I'm like, oh, that's... Don't, don't correct them. You seem like a fucking nerd. <laughs> and I'm like, I was Mick Foley in 1997. <laughs> no, 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 ring. correct me, correct me. So, um... It might have been 98. So, I'm not sure, one or two. So the work I've done for this one is I consumed an audio book called the death of wcw that is a 17 hour audiobook where i've learned so much about wrestling um i watched i found out the opening scene of this documentary is a talking head and i didn't know this when i watched the documentary but the talking head is a gentleman by the name of rick flair Woo! and now he is the godfather of wrestling and he starts this documentary with the worst thing that you can say about a person, right? And it is this. First of all, I like David Arquette. You know you're going to get trash talked when that's an opening line. <laughs> See, I liked Ric Flair. I honestly did. And then you scratch the surface man. on a little bit of research and he's one of history's greatest monsters. <laughs> Well, see, I've just watched the Disney documentary about Ric Flair, and it's an ESPN one. The 30 for 30. Yeah, 30 for 30. So he parted for 20 years, and he's had a bit of a tragic life. But on top of that, he's effectively a fully functioning alcoholic, right? I found him quite an amazing guy. Is he a bad guy then? Can I not like Ric Flair? His autobiography is like a victim's account during the Me Too movement, and it's just funny stories. Like, he keeps on getting his dick out on airlines and flashing stewards. That's his, like, party trick. Yes. He'll go and get his big robe on and then just flash his dick to a plane with children and people on it. There's um Oh, I took it to... to uh, kept... I understood it when he did that. They had the plane all to themselves. Wrestlers don't get private jets too often. Um, I thought he had a private jet. He's Ric Flair. No, he doesn't. He doesn't hotels. No, he's he, he's absolutely broke. He's he's been financially destitute a bunch of times. Right, like, okay. he's terrible with money. Right, he lived his gimmick. But anyway, yes, we're gonna, if, yeah, yeah. if we get into this, we will go sideways on this documentary so so fucking quickly because I will just. And if you want to hear about uh, comedy and wrestling, I, I swear, check out uh, the Wrestler Review. That's an incredible uh, podcast. Yeah, with uh, John Hastings and Dylan Gott. Yeah, those two are awesome with it. And anything I say with it would just pretty much be parroting them. Right, okay, and, yeah, uh, yeah. So it's worth 
Worth checking those guys out. So David Arquette was in a film called Ready to Rumble. And this effectively led him into wrestling. And he was always a fan, right? But effectively, they reckon this film ended his career because of the bad choices he made in it. And the the publicity side of things in that film destroyed his career. And they also, they attributed David Arquette. This is one man. They attributed David Arquette to the downfall of WCW. Now, I've just did 17 hours learning about WCW. It wasn't all David Arquette's fault. No, no. But I didn't know this when I watched the documentary. So, But I know it now. No, it wasn't. So basically, there was the two companies and a third smaller one that was really violent. Uh, and WCW was great for two years. It was like more adult, edgier content. Yes, and then yeah, there was yeah. a merger between two, like Time Warner and AOL. And the new company said no more edgy adult content. So they got absolutely like neutered compared to what WWF was doing. So all the teenagers went to WWF. Also, the WCW guys had all the old people like Hulk Hogan. Whereas you had, like, a, for example, The Rock, who's the biggest movie star in the world right now. You had Stone Cold Steve Austin, who's the biggest ticket seller. And, um, yeah, so WCW had it problems way above Arquette. And getting celebrities into wrestle is not a new thing. That has been done since the dawn of time. They had yeah. Muhammad Ali back in, and he wrestled Gorilla Monsoon. Right. And then had a fight with Inoki in Japan. as like a kind of worked fight where there's a whole thing about. And then they've got... Like through the years, I'm trying to think of Dennis Rodman. Uh, a bunch of them. Dennis Rodman, Dennis blew Rodman, off, um, Carl Malone. Yeah, well, he blew off the, the, um, training, didn't he? And I think he blew the off the a NBA match. Finals. I think he blew off a match. The NBA didn't finals. He? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Was, was it just I've, the training? I've watched that document. Yeah, it was the training, but it was like the week of the finals <laughs> where you don't miss fucking practice <laughs> to go and diamond cut to someone on nitro, <laughs> where you're smoking a cigar in the ring. Like I'm sure he's meant to be doing press ups right yeah. now in the best steroids <laughs> possible because we want our seventh championship ring. But um, so, what do you think of this uh, documentary? Let, let's stop talking. Let's I, stop. I, I'm going to stop you nerding out about because I exactly because so. I could talk genuinely the behind the scenes wrestling for quite a while. I'm genuinely the best way I heard wrestling described. Now I'm now I'm not a wrestling fan. I like to point that out, and my opinion on people who liked wrestling was very very poor and. I again, I'm just publicly, I'm apologising about that opinion. I was wrong. Um, Rick calls it redneck. Didn't you watch this documentary? You're exactly fucking well, right. You see the dandruff <laughs> conventions he had to go to. Well, Rick calls it redneck theatre, and the other one I I liked, which I really really liked, was it's called. I think that might be from John and Dylan's podcast, oh, okay. the redneck theatre right. line. But yeah, it's but dangerous theatre is the other word I heard the way it described, which I thought was just beautiful. And effectively, this whole documentary is David Arquette, after 20 years of this ready-to-rumble wrestling movie he made, thinking it ruined his career, he's decided he's going to become a wrestler. Now, that's at the age of 46. Now, I did a similar thing to get into comedy. So straight away, I'm looking at this bloke going... Okay, all right. I like this fella. He's he's a bit stupid, right? I'm a bit stupid. I'm just like David Arquette. I wonder if I could wrestle because that's all the thoughts that are going through my head. Because I'm like, well, I'm not getting anywhere in comedy. Okay, wrestling then. This I found a new what, chew toy. This is it. I I'm going to be a wrestler. What I wouldn't give to be a bad guy's manager. Just to be able to come out in any town, watch your job, annoy these people. Oh, <laughs> You'd be so good at it. <laughs> I would love that. That is a dream gig. Um, and if you don't know who David he, Arquette is, just he's... He you know, I, Scream, the copper from Scream. He married Courtney Cox. Which is Monica from Friends. And listen, he is from what I consider proper Hollywood royalty. So his sister is Patricia Arquette. So she's out of Pulp Fiction. Right, and on top of that, is she, she in Pulp Fiction. Who's she in Pulp Fiction? So he says, "Hey, would you want to hook up?" When they say to John Travolta, "Hey, do you want to hook up with uh, this lady?" And he went, "Who's that? The one with all the shit on her face?" No, that's my wife. She plays the wife, so she's the wife of the heroin dealer. Um, right, right. But right. also, Patricia Arquette uh, married uh, Nicholas Cage. On top of, she also married, if you know him, Thomas Jane. Right, so they. All right. Well, he's the um, he was the guy who couldn't get out of his contract to do the Walking Dead. He was going to be Rick Grimes in the Walking Dead. 
So he missed that gig. Um, and he's on The Expanse season one, on, on, as well as a whole host of other things. I think I so, know who you mean. Thomas Jane's an awesome actor, right? Um, his other sister, this is David Arquette, his other sister is Rosanna Arquette. Rosanna Arquette. That is. is that the lady who had weird paintings with penises in them? No. Do you remember that documentary we reviewed? Um, I think it was like episode 45. Uh, free, <laughs> oh, that one. Yeah, Three Identical <laughs> Strangers. Oh, and they right, were yeah. in that film, Desperately Seeking Susan. Yes. She's the main lead in that film. Ah, right, right, right. I thought that was a Madonna movie, but that's sidetracking. Or have I got them? Or have I, I might have mixed up the sisters there. Uh, yeah, sorry. No, Patricia Arquette was in True Romance and Rosanna Arquette was in Pulp Fiction. She's the one with all the shit on her face. Anyway. Uh, do they have some like mental parents like the yes. Jacksons or something? Because yes. that is that is like a, a heavy yeah. amount of that's a dynasty of a yes. family. And that doesn't come from being nice across the d- dinner table from my experience of documentaries. His dad did the voice for the famous for in the time they had a cartoon when the Hulk Hogan era was kicking off. Yeah. Called Rock and Wrestling. And his dad did the voice of Jimmy Snooker, who murdered his girlfriend and got away with it because the WWF paid off the local police. <laughs> oh, my God, that's terrible. There's an, there's an episode of Dark Side of the Ring. So, yeah, like every time you see a wrestler's face that isn't Diamond Dallas Page, <laughs> he's done something fucking oh horrific. Oh, my word. Um, so... But I just want to talk about the movie quickly. So they talk about Ready to Rumble. Yes. Uh, ruining now, his you, career. you were so against me watching this film. And it, very rarely are you like, can you just not? Just please don't. And I don't like being controlled. So straight away, I'm like, what do you fucking mean I can't watch a film? You're not my real dad, Rick. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> what I am saying is this. We've already done 17 minutes and covered two minutes of the documentary. If you were to tell the whole narrative of that movie, because here's what they did wrong with the movie. It's not about the backstage of wrestling and the politics of it. They treat wrestling as if it's real. So it becomes ridiculous. Right. So they're like, okay, so in the movie, wrestling isn't choreographed, it isn't scripted, it's not predetermined. In the movie, wrestling is real. And that's that's where they go. So that movie tanked. It was, it was really bad, but wrestling was super hot at the time, around 98, 99. Um, and what they did is they got him in to promote the movie. So they had him like as an on-screen character coming in yeah. every now and again. Because it's kind of synergy between the promotion. So the movie's promoting WCW. He goes on WCW to promote the movie. Because wrestling at the time was making millions and millions of dollars in profit, it, it was right? In, a, in profit. It was a super boom period, yeah. Um, so fast forward years later, he's still getting shit about the promo on that film, and he says, "Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a wrestler," and but he has to go through a load of tests, and I. There's a scene in this in the well, beginning. The first thing, he goes to try and get himself booked. Now, I thought that's an email or a phone call, but he then goes and sees a guy called Brian Nobbs. Now, he was one of the nasty boys back in the day. Right. Which was like one of the bad guy tag teams. And like the nasty boys are like notorious arseholes. Like they once, <laughs> they once, they like once held a wrestler down and beat him up with a telephone in a fucking airport and stuff and shit like that. There's like a million fucking aggressive crimes that they got away with because like you couldn't connect. Do- like they were just like the worst of the worst people. But he runs Legends of Wrestling and David Arquette comes in and he's asking to be booked, but they don't know they're being filmed. Now, again, these guys come from the old school of behind the curtain as sacred, which that's all been blown yeah, yeah. away over the last 20 years because that's what people are fascinated by and that's how you hook people into audiences by being authentic. But yes. So these guys are like come from the era of if you got beat up in a bar, you lost your job because you had to be tougher than everyone else in that town. If someone tells you wrestling's fake, you had to mark their faces as like what some promoters told them and stuff like that. So when they find a guy's got a hidden camera, there's like a scuffle with Brian Nobbs in this place and David Arquette's just like outside. Because I was just like, because wrestling's carny. And if they did it right, I was like, is that is that just like fake for the documentary? Yeah, yeah. But it, that, was, that was legit. He's outside smoking, nearly crying because he's not yeah, that good yeah. an actor. 
<laughs> like I don't, be- I don't, I don't believe that was put on. He's not good, like because that is fucking like Oscar worthy if that was put on. So fair play if that was a work, but I guarantee that was not a work. He turns up like, can I do a thing? And they're like, look, no. And then he had to buy a ticket and go on his own. And when he had to call his missus and tell them like they wouldn't let him in to do anything, that was just one of the saddest phone calls I've ever heard. It felt very much like the open mic comedy scene when I first sort of started hitting that. It really did. But they pump him up. I, I didn't get why they pumped him up full of ketamine in the beginning. Was it that because of his mental health issues? When he was going into the doctors? Yeah. That was so fucking because basically disturbing, you right? Learn, that you found that disturbing. If if David Arquette listens to this, which for any reason, which with you know from who we're co- collected as listeners, I doubt it. But if he ever listens to this, I want to say I really like this guy. But you do learn very quickly he is a bipolar child. <laughs> that yeah. is, he's got, yeah, he's got some like, mental health issues, right? They, they yeah, scan but, but, his brain. And the the guy with the brain scan looks at him and says, your your brain's not connected in a normal way. This is not right. There's something wrong here. Is that why they then pump him full of ketamine? Or do they pump him full of ketamine and then scan his brain? That was the... the, the and they're like, oh, there'll be a moment when you're super happy. This is like a rich guy doctors you go to. You, I can't go to the doctor and be like, tell you what, can you just whack a bunch of morphine in? We'll just see how I am for a few minutes. I'll probably come out feeling happier and better for it. Like You don't get that shit until you're like Hollywood rich. Well, and you're like, ketamine, is, celebrity. Get, ketamine is good for depression. I bet it is, yeah. No, no. <laughs> but the doctors didn't just fucking pump it for you in front of a camera to see what happens. Yeah, yeah, it has to be very controlled, right? And then, you know, the psychedelics now around depression are making a massive difference. Um, so he does all that, and it's really disturbing when he's on ketamine. You watch this thing, and he's telling his missus how much he loves her, and, you know, he's so high. It's incredible. And he tries to get up, doesn't he, and run away. And they're all holding him down. And he's, he's quite a strong bloke, isn't he? Because he's like... Argh! And it's like two women holding him down. And then the doctor comes in. He jump. He goes to do a wrestling move on him to hold him down. It's, this is a really good documentary, by the way. I don't think we've said this yet, but this is a fun one for me. I enjoyed it a lot. I loved it for him. This, this to me, um, as uplifting as Sugar Man, Searching for Sugar Man was, this, to me, was I can, I can be a comedian. This was my... Yeah, this was, um, yeah, this was my, yeah, I can do it. Yeah, because he just says, I'm going to go and do it. And then he he sets off and. Because he has been treated like a a shitty punchline. And the more you see of him, you know that shit really hurts. Really hurts him, right? Because he's a wrestling fan. He is a wrestling fan. They, they like, and they say it right. They have the interview of him and Eric Bischoff. And the problem was they give him the belt. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, and you know what? It is. It's he's just a bad punchline for it because yeah. there's plenty of other stupid stuff they've done in wrestling, but he's the outsider who came in. Yeah. Um. But he says, right? This is. I think this is the greatest quote going. I'm not ready to get in the ring. I'm not fit, and I don't have the right music. <laughs> Do you know what? He's bang right, though. He's bang right, because the, the theme to the documentary was what he used as a theme tune, and it's excellent. He's got his own theme tune. I want my own theme yeah, tune. Yeah, that, that, you kind of called David Arquette that song, I'd Love a Theme Tune. I had Rick, it. bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Rick, bitch, shuffle. That's what it, we'd all do, the dance. <laughs> there was... Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
wrestling. And, and this is, and then you see what he's looking for for a costume. He picks out a wizard's jacket. And I'm like, oh, David, <laughs> you're going, you're not going the right way about this, miss. <laughs> it's like, but you cannot, you cannot fault his commitment to a crazy idea. Not his commitment, but here's what I was thinking. Now, this is a little insider baseball, to say the least. But you, as an indie company, so that's the companies that like you independently go to. And I think those ones, you have your own creative freedom other than who wins and who loses, what happens in the match. So This if is you oh, rest, for, you're talking about wrestling here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so if you're assigned for one of the big companies, they give you a character. Yes. Unless they loved your character on the independent right. circuit. So you get full control over like what your music is, what you're doing, what you're doing, all that stuff. So that that's like, you know, just full creative control seems amazing to it. But the wrestling fans, and here's the thing, there's not many bad guys left in wrestling because everyone knows the inside of wrestling. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know why these independent companies weren't booking David Arquette because they actually have what they call heat, which is like when the audience hates you, so they cheer yeah. the good guy. Yeah. Jesus, Webb, you could bring him in to do anything, and whoever exactly. hits him or whoever does that, that is a huge, great, what's called the pop, the great reaction. That is like, I mean, it's mental they didn't want him for stuff. Yeah. It really is crazy, unless they thought like he was but, wanting to win and things like that. But there's but, a snobbery, isn't there, in which I, I took from the people on the lower leagues in the wrestling there. It seemed a very snobbish, you know, ah, oh, David Arquette, he killed the he killed the WCW man. We'll show him. So when he goes and does, for instance, he goes and does amateur wrestling. He does like a, have you seen the Peanut Butter Falcon? No, what's that? Peanut Butter Falcon! Um, it's a uh, Shia LaBeouf movie on Netflix. And basically this... He, he's a sexual criminal. <laughs> Is That's he? What I'm gonna say. Oh, he got outed for some aggressive thing towards women. I'm not oh, sure what it was, but... I think he might be up for an Oscar for the Peanut Butter Falcon. No, not anymore, he's not. <laughs> I promise you oh, that. Oh, really? It's a really good film. Yeah. Basically, this kid, with, um, this kid with Down Syndrome watches, who's in a care home, watches a how-to wrestling video, and then he escapes from the care home, and he heads to where the wrestling promo thing was filmed because he wants to become a professional wrestler, right? Not not no. dissimilar to David Arquette. Um, so, and they do... Really similar to David Arquette. Well, yeah, really. and, they, <laughs> and they, do a, um, they do a thing. They, they're in someone's back garden, right, and who basically puts a ring up and they have a fight. And basically the Down Syndrome kid ends up wrestling uh, Mick Foley. So Mick Foley's in Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh, fuck, what a great guy Mick Foley is doing that. Not in the Peanut Butter Falcon. He beats up a kid with Down Syndrome. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Spoilers. Um, anyway, so David Arquette does a Peanut Butter Falcon uh, wrestling match in someone's back garden. And Wait, I want to talk about they, that just they quickly. Beat, they destroy him mentally and physically. It, so, it's quite mean. It's wrestling like they, that. I wait, They're like the kids from All This Mayhem. They're the shitty skateboard kids. So... He gets a call, and there's a backyard wrestling company willing to book him. And you have this bit where he's on the phone to his missus and going, yeah, it's just like a backyard thing, like a deathmatch thing. And you can only hear his side of the conversation. And he goes, because no one else wanted me to wrestle for them. And you can tell her. <laughs> and I love it when you can tell what someone else is saying on the phone from his response. He goes, because no one has to else asked me to be anyone. Because <laughs> you clearly gone, why the fuck are you doing that, David? So he goes, and these are all like shitty, shitty kids. Now you imagine if for a, like a comedy gig, we get in someone who's done really well on like Instagram, and they're like super popular, filling out arenas without mentioning the names. There's a couple of them kicking around at the minute yeah, who man. are absolutely great. But if we had that kind of shitty, jealous attitude of they never did this, do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. That 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 you do here, like again, parrot in the comedy circuit, you have people just dismissive of successful people. Yeah. Because they don't understand. Because the route they came was different. Yes, and like and like these are out of shape kids. They're never going to be like particularly far in wrestling. You know what I mean? And even they are going. David Arquette. He's a fucking. We'll teach him what the business is about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because they want to sound like those old grease balls that just yeah. chucked them out of the restaurant. They're kind of like amping themselves up. It's a bit like being at like one of those fucking gigs we used to do and pretending you're at the back table of Caroline's. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's what. <laughs> That that in a comedy <laughs> reference, that's that's exactly what I thought. So you instantly dislike those fucking guys, and and um, they come out, 
I see their first match, and then they're not bad. Like they're pretty yeah. athletic, and they hit together some good stuff. And then you have David Arquette's match, and he comes out as the wizard, and he gets like shit firing from his sleeves, and the stuff they are heckling him with. I think because it's only a few people, it seems so much meaner. Yeah. Because if it was, if it was a, like say ten thousand people chatting, you suck. You're like, oh, he's getting that response. He's about. Yeah. Whereas when it's just like just one big guy going, "You killed the fucking business, David. You're a phony." <laughs> And then, literally, this is an old-school wrestling trick, and it's a famous way of how it worked. Now, because I, I thought this is how you do it to get him popular, and he did the exact right thing. So ECW was a super hardcore wrestling company. Right. They kind of shaped wrestling in the future years, but they didn't have good financial management, but everything was copied from them. Right. It was one independent promotion that ended up challenging the big two, and the nerdy wrestling fans will always would have preferred that, but it was too violent, too sexually and um so there's a guy called tommy dreamer who's a good guy and he was the only guy who was in shape in the whole company the rest were just wearing mega death shirts overweight (laughs) so they wanted tommy dreamer to be the good guy yeah yeah mullets overshaped fanny pack that's all that's all it was walking around smoking two cigarettes at a time and um so how do you get tommy dreamer liked by this audience when he looks so clean cut to um you know, how do you get them to like him? And there was a guy called the Sandman who had a Singapore cane. Now, there was the story of the guy getting caned in Thailand, the American who had to be caned for fucking up the rules or whatever. Yes. That was yeah, like yeah, a yeah. public punishment. Yeah. So that was in the news. They had a match, a Singapore caning match with Sandman. And if you lose, Sandman had to cane him. Oh. And Tommy and Tommy Dreamer um, kept refusing to quit when he caned him until this bloodthirsty audience had sympathy for Tommy Dreamer. He just kept on getting back up and saying another. And they were saying how the guy over in Thailand was a pussy. <laughs> he just, you want to see this this guy's back's ripped apart. He's like got tears coming down him and he just took it all until this crowd then turned and loved him for what he'd done. Wow. Um, a bit like mankind was supposed to be a bad guy and you're like, how can you dislike this guy? Look what he puts his body through. Yeah, okay. Because the the theatre and the, the, I'm not going to nerd out on what I've learned in wrestling, but the the artistry behind it is incredible. That's all I'm going to say. But anyway, so but you at, say artistry. What they're doing is they're getting lighting tubes and smashing them out of David Arquette's head. They're all taking turns just doing moves on them, putting like putting thumbtacks on the floor but, and chucking them on the thumbtacks. Listen, and then he has to, but he has to fall on those thumbtacks, right? And he has to play to the camera a bit well, that's or to what I the mean. audience. Yeah. But there He's is an playing. art they in hurt. that, right? Because it yeah, does yeah. look like it hurts. Right? Uh, I mean, well, I'm, I'm saying... I'm not I'm, saying there isn't artistry within it. What I'm saying is that backyard wrestling wasn't artistry. That was, but, but it's the same as an open mic comedy thing, right? You're starting at the bottom, so and he does that. <laughs> you come away thinking that wasn't worth it because <laughs> well, he, he gets cut and everything, right? And he's got a, someone sort of coaching him a little bit and sort of showing him the ropes, um, and then he goes to wrestling school, right? And the fella in wrestling school said he's waiting for a water break. He may not get a water break today. <laughs> so, and Give it, the geezer some water. It's a school, you fucking evil oh, bastard. Do you know what? The, back in the day, and again, my oldest info comes from the podcasts I've mentioned. But basically, what they used to do, if you wanted to go and train to be a wrestler, on day one, they'd break your leg. And then if you came back, they knew you were serious about the business. That's what happened. That's what they did to Hulk Hogan. That's what they did to people. So if some big muscle head comes in from round town, the idea was is they would knock you out with drills, and then someone that was a real fighter would come in and fucking destroy you when you had no energy. And um, wow. And there was there was always like a couple that would come in that would be like Olympic trained wrestlers, and they would just destroy the wrestlers that were planning on doing that. And they'd be like, "Listen, listen, it's fake. Get off us, it's fake. I'll explain everything to it." <laughs> and and the phrase was always, "We smartened them up." Is this like is the guy's about to choke them out and snap? Like, yeah, it's fake. <laughs> get off, get off. Well, Ric Flair said on his training, uh, they had to constantly run up 21 flights of stairs and then back down again and then when they'd get to the bottom and they were knackered they'd then have to carry someone up the 21 flights of stairs and then run back down and then that person would then carry them upstairs and he said yeah every day i'd I'd start with 500 squats now i can do 300 squats right that takes some doing 
and I've, I haven't got the, I and haven't got Ric Flair's legs. And you're right? pretty close to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> that exactly. makes it a lot easier. You're not dipping too much there, Matt. These lads are tough, right? They're, why would anyone want to be a wrestler? That's the bit I, I, I didn't get it. That's the bit I didn't get. I, I made that note. Why would anyone want to do this? Because it doesn't pay well. I think it's the love of it as a kid. I think the connection with an audience. Yeah. Because okay, yeah. Because again, you don't like you love your stand up. So the minute you've had that gig where you're like, oh, I felt like yes, I actually did it there. Yes. Now, yeah, yeah. And then, and then again, the idea of doing something you love is so addictive. Yeah. Like that is that is a dragon. So many people fucking chase. But listen, I get why people would want to do comedy, and because I'm doing comedy. But and as painful as comedy is, it's not physically painful, is it? I'm not putting my life on the line. I'm not. I'm not well, having well, here, some five, 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 uh, 500 stone fella jump on top of me when there's drawing pins on the floor. But there is some magic involved, Matt. Me. There is some magic involved. Yes, things hurt when they go wrong. But things like the splashes off of the top rope, the stuff you learn to do, because he, now he's going and getting actually trained, which is what he learns yeah. after doing this backyard thing, because like that's the point. He never went through the training to it. Yes. So... And I thought this was a great uh, fucking thing that he did. He went, he, he, he learned that they beasted him. He learned the basics of tying up and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and and now he's taking it seriously because the problem is, is if, you've, if you've been tortured by some guy who broke your leg on day one and you're only going to get to, at best, be on a big show once in your life and then some guy waltzes in from Hollywood and it's just like, I'm going to wear a funny hat and have a catchphrase. They're like, Fuck when this gonna, guy, yeah. I've worked my whole life. And that is where that bitterness comes from, the wrestlers. Well, he even goes to... So just in this time, because you've seen little bits about David Arquette during this time as well. And there's this one shot, just for no reason, where he's wearing his wizard's cloak. He's got no shirt on, so his stomach's out. And he's riding a horse while vaping. And I'm like, if I was a millionaire, well, that, that was I can't promise shoot. I wouldn't be doing exactly that while training <laughs> to be a wrestler. <laughs> Rafael Lasco, you're a fucking idiot. You shouldn't be doing it. You've got the hands of a toddler. Why, why do you want to be a wrestler? <laughs> uh, to be fair to David Arquette, right? So he's he's clearly, he's got a drinking problem, right? He smokes. He is not healthy. When he does that photo shoot, sitting on the horse and all of that, um, he's clearly out of shape. And he's they're like, yeah, wrestling's really difficult. He quits the fags. He quits the booze. Right, he gets into shape. Well, just quickly, they go they go through his addiction, and they have footage of him in a strip club, like just of this woman, like just rubbing herself all over him, just as he's drinking at a strip club. You're like, your wife is just yeah. one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen, and he's in this sleazy strip club. I got a Tuesday afternoon that next to weird, Wrinkles the it? Clown. Yeah, it well, was just odd. The, the weird thing is about the um, his wife. So his wife was uh, an. She's an ex-anchor, wasn't she, on, on the yeah. news, who's basically set up her own production company. So she she bankrolled the making of this documentary, and she got this documentary made, which is the way I understood it. And the thing about David is he's got a type, because his wife really does look like um, Courtney Cox. Yeah. <laughs> there was the similarities there, I was like, is that Courtney Cox? And then you'd cut to Courtney Cox, and you'd be like, oh, no, that's Courtney Cox. Or is that his what? Yeah, he really does have a type. He really, really does. But listen, this woman, she loves him. She absolutely loves him. As you can tell, Courtney Cox does, right? He's got a daughter. He's got a son. I think he's got another daughter as well. He's got dogs. He's just, he's a man How child. How fun does his house look? It looks great. That giant chair that they all sit yeah, in and they do the talking like head from. Gigantic kids' toys that just look hilarious. And they've yeah. got like four basset hounds. He's got a giant basset yeah. hound costume he puts on and runs around with them. You're like, yeah. this is what happens when you have millions and your career's not going well. Do you know but what I, I mean? I don't think he's got millions. That's the thing. I don't think he's... I think he has. Because those Scream movies were huge, mate. He was up there with, um, if you see that Vanity Fair he was on, he was on there with Tom Cruise, Will Smith, yeah. Matthew McConaughey, David Arquette. Now, of all of those, he was probably in the worst shape. He was probably not in the best movies. I don't think Ready to Rumble killed his career. I just think someone else came along and took that place. Yeah, probably. He, yeah, he yeah. didn't get an Independence Day or a, or a Jerry Maguire no. or... 
or whatever the one that launched McConaughey, A Time to Kill, maybe. But um, and I think it was just yeah, poor poor movie choices picks and yeah, maybe bad agent, yeah, bad scripting. The um, just I think the film that changed Tom's Cruise career was um, Top I think Gun. it was I think it was Interview with a Vampire. Hmm. Where he actually, I think, I think it acted. was the minute the Scientology started buying ninety thousand copies of every movie he did <laughs> on a daily basis. If if anything about Tom Cruise, I, I wonder. I keep forgetting four about foot nine action hero. Sorry, I forgot I, that that will be inspiring to someone this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep forgetting that Tom Cruise is uh, partly a bad guy, and we knocked him in one of our other documentaries about Scientology because I'm like, oh, I really like Tom Cruise. Oh no, hang on, he's the bad guy. He's a really bad guy. Um, so. Basically, he goes to Tijuana, David Arquette, and you get to know him. You can't not like the guy. You meet his best friend, which, again, this to me is the most a bipolar high of a story I've ever heard. Yeah. So David Arquette's going to the Super Bowl. Um, oh, by the way, his wife rings him and asks him to go with David, so he's so he's not just you know led down a path because he can't be trusted on his own from the looks of it. This, this guy needs handlers. There's always just blokes <laughs> around the house. Um. So that he meets this guy, he's going to the Super Bowl, and there's a guy wearing a Sandy Hook first responders jumper. Yes. And for a start, I didn't know you could merchandise a school shooter. <laughs> like I didn't. In America, you can merchandise anything. That's I what thought this, that yep. was fascinating. I'm getting yep. one of those jumpers just in case this might happen for me. Um, what? <laughs> what the fuck are you a first responder to? Doesn't matter. But if David Arquette comes up, I'm gonna I'm gonna have one of them jumpers and get because he goes up to him and goes, "Have you got a, a, t- a ticket?" He went, "No." He goes, "Do you want to come with me?" And those two have been best friends since then. Just yeah. just the idea of I love fascinating stories and just the idea that this guy's just sat there having a fucking sloppy joes outside the stadium and this guy and fucking someone from the Scream movies comes up to you. Now we're best friends. <laughs> Rick Wharton was the first to send a tweet out once Steve Bruce got. F- fired he was the first responder that's on rick morton's t-shirt that's it imagine being outside st james's park and steve bruce comes up because you got a ticket uh no do you want to come in with me no get out (laughs) (laughs) but you got a responder t-shirt on um so he goes to so david arquette is genuinely a lovely man all right he's a he's a man child i i i wouldn't like to be married to the guy but God damn, I'd love to hang around with him, wouldn't you? You'd have a laugh. You know you'd have a laugh. It would be exhausting after a while, but you'd have a laugh. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. But uh, then we meet DDP. Now, DDP really did a lot to vindicate David Arquette in this movie. They wait until to drop him in as well. Because DDP kind of explains the politics of why he was given the belt and it wasn't really David's fault. And also explained that David says... I don't want the I like that's ridiculous. I can't win yes. that title. I can't be the heavyweight champion of the world. Because he was a wrestling fan. Don't forget that, right? A wrestling fan, and they're like, "Yeah, you're going to do this," and he was like, "Well, that doesn't work. I'm a I'm an actor." And they're like, "No, it's all right. It'll work. We'll make it work." I think the problem, if I look, cause I never watched WCW back in that time. I like the other company. But um, yeah, so the problem for me is he was acting like a 1989 larger-than-life wrestler, whereas that era was a lot more geared yeah. to, like, reality-based or a little bit edgier. So he was like... It, it did seem like he was a joke. It would be like if I turned up and just... I just dressed like Hulk Hogan and pretended that now makes me Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I, but DDP's one of the best. If you ever see DDP, Yoga's fantastic. And then there's stories there of redemption, of helping out the wrestlers with drug problems and stuff. is just, yeah... Uplifting well, I, and I actually know who DDP is. That's Diamond Dallas Page, right? Yep. Woo! <laughs> so he goes down to Mexico. That's and, that's my new thing. I'm wooing now because of Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to send you his autobiography. He'll learn. So he goes down to learn lucha wrestling. Um, in Tijuana which, in Mexico. Which again, if he came, like, because they show you him running the ropes and then they show, like, the move is called a hurricane rana. So that's when you run up someone's body, you wrap your legs around their head, and you kind of roll backwards and they roll roly poly forward. Yeah. And done fast, it is a really gymnastic, like, it's a cool move. So if you had him come out as if he's David Arquette, the actor, not the wizard man, and 
they're beating the shit out of him. He can't wrestle. He was never trained. And then if he snapped on a perfect Hurricanrana, that's shock. That's surprise yeah, to yeah. an audience. That would be fantastic. I, again, he goes in as a, I am a wrestler, which is what he's trying to prove. He is. But for yeah, me, yeah. if I was trying to get a, a reaction from an audience, that is... That you is play it down that he wasn't a wrestler, but he wanted to be. And then, yeah, because yeah, the surprise thing. So they do this weird thing. They train him for a bit, and then they have to go and wrestle in the motorway when the traffic stops, and then ask people for money. At the traffic lights, yeah. It's like busking at traffic lights. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? When he, he climbs up on a ladder at a traffic light, and he jumps. It must He must be at least six, seven foot in the air, and he jumps forward and takes out two wrestlers. And then he walks down the cars, panhandling, going, hey, how was that wrestling move? Can we have some money, please, Mexicans? Yeah. And he's he's busking, basically. I, I loved the look of Tijuana. And I think if I ever start drinking again, me and you going to Tijuana, Rick. <laughs> i, I got to be honest. Like, that, I, thought that's, I thought that's where that documentary's going because they go out, he gets a tattoo, another boat bipolar high. Fucking, the worst tattoo I, ever. i, I got to be honest. By the end of this documentary, I wasn't sure if David Arquette was going to end up in a water tank above the fucking Cecil Hotel because he is just acting erratic at times. <laughs> the thing is, I've made a note in my notes here and I've put, uh, it's been a long time since I've laughed so much watching a documentary. So obviously I saw this before Class Action Park, but this was so funny, this documentary. Yeah, and he is so likable. And his, so likeable, the thing is, right? his yeah, yeah. intentions are genuine. Again, when yeah. you hear him, when yeah, his yeah. wife's talking, he's got a stent in his heart, he's had this problem, yeah. he's had a heart attack the year before. Why are you doing this? And he went, you don't understand how these people talk to me. And then... yeah. You see my, an autograph signing and they're calling them like you killed the business and all this kind of stuff. No one's going over to talk to him. Like th- yeah. that that shot of him just is, is heartbreaking. Um, and then he has a death match. I think it was for Hollywood wrestling, wasn't it? So we're coming to the end of the movie. That's not and- a death match, that one. That's that. Because he has one match with a guy. I thought so that was he- a death match. Th- th- that's to I'm come. not got, really sure what death two. match is but we've got one or two in the chronology so he goes and does a match with this guy and it's a really well put together match at Hollywood Wrestling yeah um, and they they you see them working out the match and then between them working out it then cuts between the match happening it's really well edited so again yes yeah, the yeah. way they do that's really really good and um, and they're yeah, getting some a, heat right they're getting some publicity and yeah. like it's starting to build because they even shoot an angle, which is what it's called. So they, um, he, the guy who's a wrestler slaps David Arquette on the red carpet of TMZ. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have that match. And even the ending to that match to do... So, so David Arquette comes off the top rope, but the guy knees him in midair and then gets the one, two, three, beats him. Uh, so that those are pretty intricate moves and sequences for and wrestling. And he holds his own, right? Know. He can hold his he own. He does. And you will notice in these matches, he does the smart thing where he takes a beating, he has a little bit of offense and he loses every match. Yeah. Which goes to his point of, I respect the business. It's not about me coming in and looking great. So he does that. Pleasing the audience because it's entertainment. The footage of that match starts to go a little bit viral and other people open their doors to him. So he goes and does yeah. a whole bunch of other matches. He's in great shape. His missus is like, I great can't shape. believe how seriously he yeah. took this. Yeah, and then yeah. he goes to do this death match, which is like a hard... That means weapons, that means chairs, tables. You're going ah, to bleed, okay. thumbtacks. Right. There's no rules in the match, basically. Yeah, yeah. And they get lighting tubes, which is not something they do in the big companies because they're so dangerous. They're smashing so lighting dangerous. tubes. Smashing lighting tubes over his head. So that's and, a fluorescent light bulb, right? It's a fluorescent... Yeah. That, I mean, the gas in that is dangerous on its own. And then you're smashing that over someone's head. And then you're rolling them around in that broken glass. Yeah. That that couldn't happen in the UK. Health and safety would shut that Oh, no, I've down. seen a few of those. Re- what, in, in Britain? Yeah, I've seen a few death matches in Britain. Wow. Uh, do you know comedian Jim Smallman? No. Tattoos? He's teetotal now? No. Really, really good comedian anyway. Well above right. what, what anything I'm at. But he started a company with um, John Briley, who ran the Breakfast Club up in Edinburgh, if you ever saw that. I think it was the Breakfast right. Club they did. And uh, another guy that I'm, sorry, I'm spacing out on his name, but they started Progress Wrestling, and that really 
exploded in Britain. And there's a few guys you would have seen wearing the Progress T-shirt. It went super viral. Oh, wow. Okay. There, there was a huge British them. wrestling upsurge. And me and me flatmate kind of popped our head in at like the real fortunate time to watch it. And we were blown away. We absolutely loved it. Um, well, because there's a... I'm going to get... Uh, when wrestling, I met a wrestler... Um, during a gig when there was like a lockdown break in summer. Um, and when it's all back up and running, we became Facebook friends. So I'm going to go to to one of his matches just because I was, you know, because I'd done the Bret Hart documentary with you. Who was you. the wrestler? Uh, was it Colt? No, I have met Colt Cabana. <laughs> I hung out with Colt Cabana. Uh, no, this was a like an open mic wrestler oh, level. Oh, big yeah, guy. He and it was the, just this. The superstar, mate, Josh Faulkner. No, he wasn't. He's not a name. He's not anyone. It's like someone trying to remember. I know he's not a name. I'm saying that is the guy's name. Big lad, young. No, it was just this huge black guy who was in the audience at this open mic gig in Kent. And I just got chatting. I went, what do you do, big man? And he went, I'm a wrestler. No way. Do you like Brett the Hitman Hart? He was like, yeah, he's all right, I guess. I went, no, he's the best. He's the best there's ever been. The best there ever will be. Yeah, and this guy's okay. looking at me like I'm an idiot, right? Because I'm such a noob. And all I've got is a few little bits of tiny information. I and know. I'm, and I, I know, want to but... impress him, right? Because he's Yo, a wrestler. What you've, like, what oh you've just done there is you've went to a musician, goes, oh, you like music? Yeah. Have you heard of the Beatles? <laughs> yes, that's exactly that, what that, I that. did. And they're like, all right, all right. <laughs> And I'm trying to impress this guy so he likes me. Um, but no, I'm going to, um, yeah, I'm going to go and see some of his wrestling because well, I love that level of it. I just. So during this match, they're using the lightning tubes and a guy goes to grab him while holding the lightning tube and stabs David in the neck with it. And you can tell the match goes weird because David oh, just yeah. gets up at a point he's not meant to get up. Yeah. And just starts to walk out and he's yeah. holding his neck. He's he's snapped into something. You're like, what's happened here? Blah, blah, blah. Is he walking off? There is a lot of claret coming out of his body. And you're like, all right, what's going on here? And then he walks back in, still holding his neck, finishes the match. So basically he tells the guy. Fair play to him, man. The, 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 the phrase is go home. That's that's like their code words. Go home is the sequence. Start the end sequence fucking now or pin me now. Go home ah, is the, okay. the thing. So he would have said, go home with a guy. The guy just does like a basic move, pins him one, two, three, and then he doesn't stay down. He gets straight up, fucking walks out. Yes. Now, what you don't see is this lightning tube has went through. It's it, it stabbed him in the neck. Like it's yeah. an actual injury to his fucking jugular. Yeah. And the guy driving him. Luke Perry. Is uh, the where well, he's in the car, but his son Jungle Boy. I'm like, he's an AEW. I know who Jungle Boy is. And I'm like, I think I recognise that guy. And then Luke Perry was in it. Yeah, that's so they Luke were... Perry's kid. And Luke Perry. Yeah. I'm guessing this is the difference in our ages here. Luke Perry to me, rest may he rest in peace. He was a god man. He was in Beverly Hills 90210. And me and my flatmate, right, who was the manliest man you have ever met, like a real hard-drinking South African, um, we used to every, every uh, I weekend... I don't know if that's toxic to say that like now, Matt. <laughs> he'd sit there and we'd watch Beverly Hills 90210, um, which was like, it was a very feminine-based um, show. It was, uh, yeah, he loved... Oh, mate, Luke Perry was a god. So this, so you see him rushing to hospital. That clip goes viral. All the wrestling journalists are on it. They're talking about it on Joe Rogan, um, and he's he's starting to spiral because Luke Perry dies shortly after that. It does sadly, yeah, and, and they're, suddenly, they're really good yeah. mates, right? Yeah, yeah. That was one of his best friends. Um, but so he's fallen off the wagon. But he's got one more thing booked of redemption, and it is they show that they wouldn't let him on the year before. Right. He's booked against someone called Mr. Anderson. Now, he could have been huge. He was going to be massive in WWE. He was called Mr. Kennedy in WWE. He's one of the best talkers for years that came around. But apparently, he was just an arsehole backstage, and he was into pills in a big way. Right, okay. So it was really sad to see how out of shape Mr. Anderson is. But at this point, since I know wrestling, I know this isn't a death match. This is going to be pretty fucking safe for him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But his missus does a nice thing. She dresses as Miss Elizabeth, his schoolboy crush, and, and yeah. dresses as her. Dresses up in red, right? I've got goosebumps they, over that. That was beautiful. They all go out together. They have the match. He has the respect of the crowd to an extent. 
or at least a hell of a lot more than he initially did. And uh, that's pretty much, he has one final match, and that's with Jungle Boy, where David Arquette, this means nothing to you, Matt, but he does a Canadian Destroyer, which is the most difficult move in wrestling. What's that? Canadian Destroyer is, you know, the pile driver. So you have someone between your legs, you lift them up so the legs are in the air, and then you drop them on their head. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see Jerry Lawler doing that to David Arquette in the footage. Right. So a Canadian Destroyer is, you get them between your legs, and then you do a front flip, and they land on their head. It's like, oh. it's only only certain people can do it. And I imagine Jungle Boy, who took the move, who's Luke Perry's son, is super gymnastic, and he... He was actually in control of the move, right. even though the move. Okay. But the idea that David Arquette did a fucking Canadian destroyer is amazing for nerds. At an event that would have been like, oh my god, because banned pile drivers are all banned because people break the necks with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And the idea that he did that, and yeah, that that's I'm a huge have to wrestling. Watch that again, just so I can see that move now. It's, well, it's a split second. It is like a tiny clip in okay. between it, and then well, he has an emotional promo with Jungle Boy at the end when they're almost yeah. in tears. And um. Basically, so David Arquette is recognised as one of the top 500 wrestlers of all time. Of the year. They do it every year. It's Pro Illustrated's top 500 wrestlers. Oh, really? Oh, that doesn't sound so good. You just shout all over David Arquette for me there. I thought No, I thought he was recognised of all time. No, no, the idea what? is, is That's he's now That's a rotating recognized. 500. Yeah, you have some OCD people of these wrestling journalists. A guy called Dave Meltzer, I think it is, that does it. Or maybe it's Brian Alvarez who does the Def WCW book that you're listening to. He's funny, Brian Alvarez, man. Really funny. That audio book, he's so sarky. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, but I think the thing for David Arquette with that, and he's then recognised he as recognized. a professional gets, wrestler. It, and that is... That was it, right? He got the respect he wanted. I had so many goosebumps. I just fell in love with David Arquette. He was just... Um, he was lovely. and But what I was thinking, right, is so when I got into skydiving and learned to skydive, I got sober, I stopped the fags, I stopped everything, right? And I was in reasonably good shape. Obviously not good enough because I broke my bloody neck because I'm an idiot. As soon as I stopped skydiving, though, I returned to the beer and the fags like you wouldn't believe. And I'm wondering if David Arquette was the same. So has he stopped wrestling? Has he gone back on the booze and the fags? I'm I'm not sure, but I hope not because yeah, it is a real good feel good story, yeah. and it does show a very funny back back like the other side of wrestling, which is always yeah. fascinating as well. It was beautiful. The action man. sequences in it are about as dangerous as anything we've seen in it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I like I say, I I very much enjoyed this one. And the music to oh good man, cool. Because I thought you were going to give me shit for being a noob for picking it. Um, no, no. My issue was is I don't want to bore people with me going. Uh, actually, ECW were the first to use canes. <laughs> I don't. I I don't. We don't need that for our listenership. I've met most of our listeners at your birthday, and they're not like, yeah, we give a shit about a Canadian destroyer, Rick. You fucking loser. Like, yeah. <laughs> Um, at the end of this documentary, the playing out music was Land of Hope and Glory. And it was like a really cool version of that, which I thought was sweet. Um, but just overall, I love this documentary. Absolutely loved it. This is hands down five. If if I could give it six, if the rules would allow, this is a, yeah, this is a six for me. Just because I loved him. I just fell in love with the guy. His drive, his passion, everything about him. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. What's your score, Rick? What you uh, what are you going to score this one? I'm giving him a four because you should have been a heel. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't respect the industry. No, I don't give a shit about that because if I like like him, if I got that chance, you better believe I've got me fucking hairy mantis flying off the top rope and being like, I'm the champion. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky wins the rumble. <laughs> it's Ricky, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> The weird thing is, it was in such a state at the end, WCW, they could have given a belt to you. That's how insane it was. Their storylines and all of that. If you do get, a, if, if you want to get into wrestling, or just the, that side of it, the audiobook of Brian Alvarez, of the death of WCW, is superb. I really loved it. Which I believe is also a documentary, by the way. Unfortunately, Matt, it's too nerdy. It's too nerdy. We've got to keep it to a bit like not just what we're into this week. I'm still going to watch it. I'm, yeah, right. just because I'm, and yeah, and I still haven't really watched a proper wrestling match. So, uh, but just the the whole thing behind it fascinates me. Anyway, so anything more to say to wrap this one up, Rick? Because I'm going to give you our code word now: go home. 
I am 45 minutes late for dinner now because apparently <laughs> my mum can shout at a window at me now. Um, <laughs> Richard! <laughs> yeah, oh, I wish you sounded like that. I wish it was that less aggressive. But um, yeah, so I'm giving this a four. <laughs> Good. Um, well, glad you enjoyed it. Uh, coming up next on the docket... I, we can't do any more wrestling stuff, can we, Rick? Because we're not just, for a good while. No, no. yeah, okay. We we need a, we need six to twelve months off of wrestling. Um, coming up on the docket next is we're looking at. I know coming up soon is Alabama Snake, which I'm really, really looking forward just, to. Just a quick second, mate. I do need to point out for the sake of our arguments. How much did we talk about the movie Ready to Rumble? Uh briefly it briefly got mentioned even though it was the linchpin in a way of that whole documentary you cannot kill david arquette yes so i just want to point out i was correct uh, well 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 i got it i got a second here have you just i told you so to me yes <laughs> <laughs> he'll turn it's rick bitch <laughs> and with that goodbye say goodbye uh, take it easy guys I'm not going